Hey, this is Jimmy from The Lonely Ones, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Cheering crowd sound It's concerts Concerts that made us Concerts that made us Dot com On this episode I'm joined by Jimmy Toland From The Lonely Ones An absolutely fantastic rock band I know you're going to love We have a great chat About the history of the band Their latest release Bedroom Door And much much more So Without further ado Let's Get on with the show.
you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Hi there, thanks for having me. It's great to have you now. I, uh, I've i been diving deep into your music now, and one thing I've noticed is the first couple of notes, once you hear them, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get one hell of a good time. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's, you know, We try to make something that makes somebody have fun. We opened the show with your latest release, Bedroom Door. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Yeah, man, that's a that, that was kind of a conscious effort for us to make a song that was, uh, you know, a rock and roll dance track, for lack of a better term. Um, really wanted, you know, there's places for a lot of different types of music, but we really felt like making something that had a lot of bounce to it. And so everything we did from the top down was just really kind of geared towards making asses move. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. All right. And uh, what was the process like, you know, from conception all the way up to release? That well, that song was was a little bit different than normal because we act, we did a full version of that song that isn't released. That was, you know, completely different parts. The only thing that was really the same was the uh, the chorus vocals and the bridge. But it, you know, we didn't really just didn't feel like it was itself yet. I don't know how to put that together. Like it had come to fruition yet. So we stripped it as far back as possible and started building again. Um, the old version I really like, but there was, there really wasn't any sort of, I guess, dance aspect to it, which we, we knew we really wanted to try. Is there any chance in the future that fans will get to hear the other version? We'll probably put it out uh, on Patreon in the near future. So probably not publicly, but definitely, you know, in a in a private super fan kind of context. <laughs> what better way to do it? And what has the reaction been like from the fans since you released it? You know, people people seem to dig it. Um they seem like they kind of got they got the message. They they like it. I you know, which is which is always good. That's the point. I don't write something for people to to dislike it or tell me that I, you know, we didn't hit our goals. I'm sure there are people out there that feel that way, but they're always, you know, there always will be. And usually the people that quietly don't like, or, you know, mildly don't like a song, don't tell you because they don't really care. So across the board, I've got nothing but positive reviews. Oh, good, good. And, you know, when you put together a song, especially a rocking song like this, what do you hope that listeners get from it? Um, Just that it makes them feel good. Um, I know what I want out of a song. Uh, you know, when I'm when I'm writing it, I know what I want it to get across. But if somebody likes it and, you know, they're hearing it a little bit differently than I intended, uh, who cares? As long as they like it, I'm happy. True, true. What exactly is your approach to songwriting? You know, are you the type of person that will lock yourself in away in a room for days on end until you come up with the perfect song? Or does it just come to you like a spark of inspiration? Sometimes that's the case where it's a, you know, you, you lock yourself away. Uh, I've done that before. And I think our next single is, is one that I did that with a lot of the music where I just really didn't come out, uh, come out of my, my little studio here behind me for, you know, two days or so just trying ideas. But this one was, was a lot more collaborative. It was the first song um, we wrote with me on guitar, as opposed to playing bass guitar. It was the first song we wrote with, uh, with True, our new bass player in the band as well. So we wanted to make sure it was a really collaborative thing where, you know, it wasn't just one of us coming out of a cave with a song written. Because it, it you know, it's not a good way to, to get everybody comfortable in their roles. True, yeah, yeah. And we'll dive a bit into the band. You formed in the summer of 2019. What exactly led to the creation of The Lonely Ones? Uh, we were in a band before this. Uh, well, three of us were on a band before this that, uh, you know, toured like crazy. Um, and that band, that band split up under or temporarily split up under, you know, mutual, you know, good, goodwill, I guess. You know, nobody was upset with each other, but we wanted to keep going. So we started a new band and it was kind of nice to have a, a pretty clean slate musically. Um, I've, you know, you you get far enough into a band and you kind of have the path drawn out for you. And if you veer too far off that, you know, it it feels like you're, you know, like maybe you're being 
disrespectful to whatever legacy of the band you have currently. And so it's been nice the last two years to have not to have not really had that uh, that track you got to stay on without veering too much off it. Jeez, a lot of bands would have just maybe, you know, tried a concept album or just slightly changed their direction. Would you have not thought of keeping the old band and just doing that? Uh, it was an intentional decision not to. That band, um, that band Boba Flex was, was started by uh, Marty and Tommy, who are the, the drummer and the singer for The Lonely Ones, and uh, Marty's brother, Sean. And Sean was a major you know, a major creative force in that band. And without him in that band, it really felt like we would be lying to people to call it Boba Flex and to keep putting music out under that name. Uh, and I just, I never wanted to be that band that, you know, just had to hold on to to the the previous name because there there were hits under that name. And that, you know, if you, if you veer away from that and try to start anything new, you'll be taking a risk creatively. And I didn't want to be scared of that risk. So we, we rolled the dice. I've noticed something lately is um, a lot of bands seem to have formed either just before the pandemic or during the pandemic. And as a band that was, you know, taking such a big change, how did the pandemic affect you guys? How did you deal with it? Oh, it ruined everything. It was terrible. Um, It was, you know, there's, was there some creative good that came from us not having to, uh, or being able to write, without the worry of making sure we were done in time to go back out on the road. Uh, definitely. But man, there's, it's just tough to keep a business going when, when you don't have money coming in and that money comes from live shows. It's, you know, so it definitely tightens your range of mobility when it comes to moves you want to make promotional materials, you want to create even songs you want to record. You know, if you, if you don't have shows on the horizon, that means, 85, 90% of your income stream is dried up. So you're, you're, you know, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul just to get music created in the first place. So overall, it was, it was a terrible experience trying to start a band in the pandemic. I hated it. Yeah. All you want to do is play. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, as a musician, it's like your life force has been taken away from you. Yeah. It, it, that's exactly it. It's, it's, you know, it's the means of financial freedom to create, you know, with, with a lot less restriction. And on top of that, it playing live is to me an integral part of calling yourself a band. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no exceptions to this rule, but I don't feel like I'm a part of a band until, you know, we've got dozens and dozens of shows under our belt and you've got that militant lockstep live creativity flowing. I'd say that first gig post lockdown, post pandemic, must have felt like absolute pure heaven did it it was really scary actually oh really yeah yeah well you know if if you look at the timeline of when we formed the lonely ones which was late summer 2019 um we intentionally didn't play any shows late summer 20 you know or late 2019 because we were in the process of recording and wanted to get everything really built uh on the live show and we were going to launch and start playing shows early mid spring now probably mid spring of 2019 or 2020 and obviously that was right when covid hit so by the time we were actually able to play a concert on tour which was april or sorry august of 2021 it had been a full 2 years that we'd been without playing live so that's something that i was doing 200 days 250 days a year all of a sudden shrunk down to zero days in 2 years so it's it was, you know, it was like if you just never went outside for two years and then, you know, you just you got to go outside and get the mail one day. It'd be, it'd be a pretty uh, nerve wracking event, I guess, if you were an agoraphobic. Yeah, geez. And uh, I have to ask then, how did it go once you got up on stage? Did, you know, the muscle memory come back and you you just got straight into it? It was almost instant. It was almost instant. Everything went completely back to normal, which was was I wasn't expecting. I thought it was going to be, you know, a couple shows before I got over the nerves. But uh, the first song, Tommy, our drummer, counted in the song on his hi-hat. And it, as soon as I heard that, it was it was like tra- like a time travel back to two years prior. 
and you could, I kind of just put myself in that headspace and the nerves were gone. So it was really all, you know, preemptive nervousness. But as soon as I was actually playing, it was fine. It's good to hear. And before we dive into your own music history, I want to mention Boba Flicks. You mentioned them already. Now, they're not totally gone forever, are they? You've been playing some gigs again this year. Yeah, yeah. We uh, So, you know, with The Lonely Ones being our full-time thing, uh, and and like I said, the, the the split of Boba Flex was completely like friendly, cool. It was, you know, just life changes happen sometimes. But the two guys that aren't in the lonely ones that are in Boba Flex, both Jake and Sean, are both, you know, friends of ours and avid musicians. They just they weren't able to be out on the road and didn't you didn't have the desire to be out on the road as in the in the capacity that we were doing it. So, you know, we they still really want to continue to record music and play the occasional gig here and there. And why wouldn't I want to do that with my friends? So yeah, we, we actually have another one slated for a week from this Friday. And then I can't say any more than that right at this moment, but very soon there'll be some more announcements regarding that. I actually like that now. That's a, that's true friendship, you know, because as busy as you guys are with the lonely ones, you still go back and do that because your friends want to do it. But I have yep. to say, it must get like it must get fairly stressful or fairly confusing managing two bands. You know, most people find it hard with just one. It well, yeah, it it does get confusing in ways sometimes because I play one, I play different instruments in both bands. So when I go back and play a Boba Flex show, a lot of times I have to, or you know, even uh, Boba Flex rehearsal, I have to get used to the way a bass feels in my hands, you know, kind of rewire the way your brain works within the context of a band. When it comes to actually managing the band, I had a lot less of a hands-on approach in Boba Flex as far as the the running of the day-to-day operations. So it it's not like I'm like I'm running, you know, completely hands-on steering the wheel for two bands. I've I help out with a lot of stuff with Boba Flex, but I don't, you know, I'm I don't run that show at all. It's but we're all, you know, like I said, we're all we're all friends. We all respect each other's opinions and we can kind of run it more in that capacity as, hey buddy, what do you want to do? Because the pressure's kind of off. We're not trying to tour eight months a year like we were in 2016. Yeah, yeah. I getcha. And a question for the super fans now. Maybe it's happened already now. I might not know, but is there ever a hope of a gig where Boba Flex will open for the Lonely Ones? We actually, we did the opposite. Uh, right now, as it stands, Boba Flex has more radio success and, you know, single success than the Lonely Ones. So we we did something similar, but vice versa. And the Lonely Ones opened for Boba Flex uh, in Columbus, Ohio, which is both bands, you know, home base. And the, yeah, it was, it was a, beautiful show i had such a good time because it was like this big family reunion where it was our friends in a band called harmless habit opened the show then the lonely ones played and then our good friends in a band called south of eden who are friends of both bands uh went on in between and then boba flex headlines it was all all buddies hanging out in the same green rooms you know you know and there's guys in different bands this and that so you got to jump over and and play this set uh one of the guys in South of Eden is in both is in harmless habit as well. So it was, you know, guys changing outfits, taking a little <laughs> 10 minute nap backstage and shotgunning a beer to wake up. It was really cool, man. It really felt like, like a family reunion, but with bands. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I could imagine. Oh, I would love to have caught that show. It sounds like one hell of a time. It was a really good time. And we'll dive into your own personal music history now for a bit. If you can, can you remember your very first musical memory? My first musical memory I have is uh, my dad picking me up from my dad picked me up from preschool or kindergarten, um, and he would uh, he would he you know it was a cassette player at that point in time, and he would listen to uh, "Appetite for Destruction" by Guns N' Roses, and then the first four Aerosmith albums. And that was just about all he would listen to. He knew I loved it. And so I remember, 
you know, being excited to hear which one we were going to listen to again. And when you're a little kid, you know, you can listen to the same songs over and over and over and over and over. And that memory really colored my impression of music because it, it got me into the style of music I'm into. And it also was an early memory of me getting excited, not listening to music, getting excited, but getting excited at the prospect of music coming later. Mm, yeah. And thinking yeah. about it anticipatory. Yeah, yeah. And would it have been a very musical house, you know, was there always music being played? Nobody in my family um, was really like a, a huge player. Uh, my mom and my dad both dabbled before I was born. Uh, and my dad worked worked for bands in the 70s. He was kind of tied in with uh, with a bunch of heavy hitters in the East Coast in the 70s and early 80s. But you know, nobody was really a player. So that, that was something I kind of discovered on my own. It was the next logical step is, wow, everybody around me loves listening to this. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to create it? Yeah. Your father must have been delighted then having that history from back in the seventies when you went on to become a musician. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's cool to be able to kind of talk shop with him and he calls me up and, you know, he, you know, he had a lot of experience and was, had you know had his fingers in a lot of a lot of pies back then so it's cool to be able to have him call me up now and ask me a question of how do they do such and such these days and I'll tell him and he'll you know it'll blow his mind you know how much technology has interwoven into the stuff that he used to be doing with you know stapling flyers to hold or you know advancing shows with landlines and trying to get to concerts via map <laughs> Sounds like an absolute nightmare. Thank God for sat nav and everything today. I wouldn't want to have to. Uh, I wouldn't want to have to worry about all that. No, no. And the music you were exposed to then, as a child and your teenage years, how do you think it molded you and influenced you into the musician you are today? Um, I I really had a pretty small, uh, pretty small field of view when it came to to music until I was about 18, really. I, I, for some reason, I, my brain didn't connect the dots on going and wanting to branch out and discover new music. I would just kind of let whatever fell in my lap, fall in my lap. And if I enjoyed it, I would, you know, buy another band or that band's other albums or whatever. But I never made an active decision to go out and really start searching stuff out until much later than most people. Like I said, I think I was probably 18 or 19 before I, I really got into the idea of utilizing the internet and going and finding a band on Facebook or YouTube and then clicking through their related videos, trying to do all that. So it, it, I don't know that it made a massive impression on, on my music consumption because that really all changed in my late teens, early 20s. Yeah. And growing up, what was the, the local music scene like? Was there many bands playing in your local area? Well, I grew up in a, a mid-sized city called Tacoma, Washington. Uh, it had about 200,000 people in it at the time. And I remember really being dissatisfied and feeling constricted by it. But, you know, I should preface this by saying that could have been just the angsty thoughts of a 16, 17-year-old <laughs> kid. Um, but I remember really feeling like nobody wanted to do what I wanted to do and that the shadow of grunge music, even, you know, 15 years later or whatever it was at the time had was just looming heavily over this city that was just a little bit South of Seattle, Washington. And I could never get anybody to want to write something that felt like a party. It was always gloomy, you know, heroin chic drop D like just sludge chords with a guy saying, you're over it. And, <laughs> And, you know, and if that's if that's your thing, that's your thing. But it felt like that was almost the the predetermined path for anybody that was trying to play rock music in that era. It was either that or it was very unoffensive pop punk, one of the two. And just neither one of those ticked for me. So I, I got out of, out of I got out of the state as quick as I could and moved to Ohio to try to find something a little more with a little more interconnected that had a little more culture from other places hit that. And once you got to Ohio, then was it uh, was it easy to find like-minded people to to start a band? Yeah, I I really feel like I lucked out in a way that I don't deserve. Um, I actually met 
Marty, the singer for the Lonely Ones and Boba Flex, the day I moved to Ohio. I was, uh, to give you the real abridged story, I it's about a three-day drive from from where I grew up to Columbus, Ohio. And I had I had some people that I vaguely knew that were that were putting on a show. And I was underage at the time. I was 19 years old and drove cross country, showed up at their show, didn't go to my apartment that I hadn't rented yet, whatever. Drove straight to this bar, went in, snuck in because I was too young to drink by Ohio law, and was so tired I fell asleep at a table outside of the patio and marty happened to be the one to come shake me awake because he was you know fascinated with this he's you know he's a few years older than me he was fascinated with this kid who you know i looked young at the time i probably looked like i was 15 or 16 and he, you know, he was like what is this random kid doing just walking into the bar getting a you know sneaking a beer and falling asleep so he and i started talking and we became friends immediately and, you know, a year and a half later, two years later, I was in Boba Flex and we, we, you know, we've been inseparable ever since. I, I wish I could say it was this big uphill struggle to find my niche in, in the Midwest as a musician, but it was really kind of handed to me on a silver platter. <laughs> good, good. And we'll jump into your gigs as a concert core. What gigs do you think have made you? specifically man let me think let me work backwards here the last the last show i saw that really like changed the way that i thought about putting on a show was uh dead poet society and broken love they played in columbus about two months ago and i don't think either one of them really reinvented the wheel but they just did it so well and it was i don't know how to describe it but it was there they would do little things on guitar that i thought were just interesting and i i'm a avid like mental note taker when it comes to stuff like that and i i try to you know if i see somebody do something i'm going to incorporate that but I, you know that they had a couple tricks that i wanted to try out in my playing did that before that was probably crowbot i saw them over the summer they you know they blew my wig back all the way back to i remember being at um i remember being at uh uh Bonnaroo. 2014 seeing uh jack white he put on a three and a half hour concert or something like that and he just had this way about him where he carried himself with such a confidence that he managed to keep a bunch of people who were strung out on drugs drunk high tired from the heat etc three days into a festival had them in the palm of his hand for three and a half hours and i remember like trying to wrap my head around how somebody could even do that because normally if i go to a concert hour and 20 minutes into a band set i'm i've had enough i'm cool move you know get, bring the next band up but this guy just had everybody so well so you know there are plenty 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 more and i'm probably disrespecting somebody by by not naming them because there's so many great ones that i've seen but those are the three two recent one a while ago that really stick out yeah yeah i'm not a bit surprised about jack white though i i feel like he's almost like this sort of genius from another time you know that's just at the like there's being at the top of your game and then there's being up here like you know like there, there's people that i that i think are you know i, I don't i don't believe in in a you know preconceived like fate or anything like that but it feels like there are people that somehow by whatever biological luck were built to do what they happen to be doing. And so every fiber of their being is tuned to that. And, you know, I would say they're, you know, they're comedians that are that way in comedy. They're, they're guitar players that are that way just for playing guitar. Jack White is a artist and a performer. And I feel like every muscle in his body is tuned to be that. Definitely. And your own gigs then, you know, for any of the listeners in Europe that wouldn't have had a chance to get to see you guys, what can they expect when they come to a, one of your gigs? Man, it's, I try not to brag too much, but we're damn good live. Like it's, <laughs> it's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. And it's the, it, to me, it's like, it's the proper evolution of what rock and roll was in the seventies 
and then what it became in the 80s, what it became in the 90s. If the, if I'm saying like if Aerosmith did their thing now, I like to think that we have, we would capture that energy along that. It's it's on the edge. I don't I don't try to play anything safe up there. I'm trying to do something and take a little risk every night, you know, and I'm trying to interact with people. I feel like there's too many people that are way better players than me, but just stare at their hands the whole time. And that's, I don't like, that's not what people pay to see in my opinion. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. And for you personally, what do you think goes into putting on a good show, you know, keeping the audience engaged and captivated? It's an, it's an active process. I think like anything, you know, if, if you're good at what you do, you'll always be good at it, but good isn't enough. Good is comfortable. Um, so every day, you know, we, we try to push ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm making an active decision, you know, late in the set, I might be tired. I might be sweating. I might want to, I might want to, you know, go dry heave behind an amp because I'm not feeling well, whatever it is. But all you can do is you continue to push yourself and try to make it better for the people that are watching because like who wins if I go up there and I give 70%, not me, not the audience, not the promoter, not the guy who's watching on YouTube later. Nobody. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. And from your own gigs, then as a band, what gigs do you think have made you guys? Man. I, I can give you one real specific one. So last fall, sorry, uh, about a year ago, I should say, we were out playing some shows with a band that became our buddies called Seven Year Witch. And, you know, we always fancied ourselves a, a good live band. You know, we're confident. Um, we were in Boba Flex as well. We went up there and they, this band Seven Year Witch blew us off the fucking stage. It was not nice. Everybody in the room knew it too. Us, we knew it. Seven Year Witch knew it. The crowd knew it. The guys behind the bar knew it. They handed it to us on a silver platter. It was, it was, it, we lost. And we, you know, we all went outside and, you know, you can't be mad at those guys. They're put, they're doing their job. We just didn't do ours good enough. So we had a, a little powwow, you know, internally. And we're like, you know, for my own ego's sake, and for the audience's sake, I can't let that happen again. So it it turned into this, you know, friendly competition night after night after that first show with them. Every night, you know, we're, you know, okay, cool. The, the singer, he can do a backflip. I can't do a backflip, but can I go climb this thing? You know, whatever, and go stand on this speaker and go try to, you know, dive out into the crowd. Can I put my guitar out into the crowd and let the audience play? Whatever, whatever it is. and. You know, and you're trying to make that up on the fly so it doesn't feel too pre-rehearsed. But all that stuff, man, that, that came from us getting just absolutely roasted on the first day of the tour. And that, you know, I've, I've got an ego when it comes to that stuff. I don't like when that happens. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. No, geez, that it, it makes for very good fun, especially for the audience, though, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, I like I like getting showed up very, very occasionally. But you're, I mean. I'm only going to let it happen once, but it's, I think it's good for everybody. It keeps you honest. I was just going to say, and it gives you the little kick in the ass, you know, to push yourself that step further. Exactly. Exactly. It does. Yeah. Now I always ask, is there a gig in particular that sticks out in your mind, you know, as the most perfect gig that you'd revisit over and over again? Well, yeah, yeah, probably there was a show not long after that tour, uh, I think we had just come off that tour. So we were really, you know, still consciously every day remembering that gig of getting, getting our asses handed to us. And we we did a show or a couple shows opening for uh, Seven Dust. And, you know, they, they were sold out shows, a couple thousand people at each one. And, you know, we're a new band. So we wanted to do everything we could to win all these people over. And to let you inside a little bit, I had just gone through a breakup like a few days prior that I, you know, I was still not telling anybody about. And so I'm, I'm all fired up. I'm twisted up, mad at the world. And, you know, all I could think was like, if you go up there and you win people over on stage, 
then something has gone right. And I remember we played in uh, Mobile, Alabama for a sold out show. And I've never seen a crowd go from like not caring about you to eating out of the palm of your hand so quickly. Not so quickly, but so efficiently. I think we had 25 or 30 minutes to play. And the first song they came out, they're all, you know, they're staring at their phones. They don't care about you, whatever. You're just some opening band. And by the end of it, you know, they're like, they're, they're pushing past each other to get closer to the crowd. And they're, I'm leaning out into the crowd. And they're propping me back up. I'm talking back and forth at every single one of them. And they're, you know, there's a line at the merch table afterwards, this and that. And I, I just remember that one stuck out as like a perfect example of taking, because the goal is to entertain people. And sometimes you got to entertain people that don't necessarily want to be entertained. And that was, that to me felt like a perfect boiling down of the essence of entertaining somebody that doesn't want to be entertained. Yeah. Yeah. That really shows, you know, expert level showmanship that you can turn a crowd around, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you mentioned earlier on that you play, you know, 250 gigs out of the year. How does a band get to that stage where they, you know, can solely rely on that as their job and that they're playing that much? You have to, the thing is, is you have to start out in a position where you're, you're accepting the fact that you're going to lose money. And then you, you quickly, if you can get over that and you've got a band and a group full of guys that aren't scared to, you know, come home and work a nine to five, you know, off, you know, off the, off the road. And that's how they make their money. If you, if you do that and you're out, you know, beating the street, you know, maybe if you can find somebody that is willing to be on your team that knows people at the radio stations and they'll have you in at, you know, at every radio station in every, uh, every city that you're playing in and it'll, it'll turn around relatively quickly. Now you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be necessarily paying all your bills off it but you can go out and break even and once you're breaking even then then it's it's one of those things like it's a bunch of small incremental steps but if you can get over that hurdle to where you're not losing money and that might take a year or two of really just beating the pavement hard with no fear then all of a sudden you can get to the point where you're playing 100 miles down the road here 100 miles down the road here 100 miles down the road here and some of those shows you're going to connect with people and you're going to start making money at those venues. And then the bands you play with at those venues, you ask if you can go open for them at another venue that they might draw better at 50 miles from there. And next thing you know, you might have 20 places, 30 places where you're actually making money and a bunch of other places you're breaking even. Do you think it's easier nowadays for bands to make money or do you think it's harder? You know, because we're constantly hearing that the likes of streaming services bands don't get what they're owed you know and they're they're really not but from a gigging point of view and i suppose with the likes of patreon and stuff like that where you can offer that little bit extra do you think it's easier for bands to make money from that point of view um it was until recently when gas prices jacked up um i would say from from like 2015 to 20 2021 really uh you know barring covid from that from that period of time it was a beautiful time to be out on the road because expenses were extremely low but at the same time you had the the peak of you know spotify and the interconnectedness of social media that it, it was so easy to get your music in front of people and now you're not making you're not making money off of that music sales like you would have 40 years ago but those live shows were so easy to both book and promote that, you know, you could, you could really go out for, you know, at your first time, you can talk a promoter into giving you, you know, scraps of, you know, scraps of bread, essentially, financially, you could go out and take a risk on a new market. So it was, it was super, super easy. But now, you know, we're, we're driving a diesel vehicle and diesel is about, about $6 a gallon here in Ohio right now. So it's it it's made it a lot tougher, but once that goes down again, you know, fingers crossed, I, I think that we're gonna be able to get back to that mentality of just, you know, 
beating the street like crazy. From a touring point of view, then, what ambitions do you have, you know, in the next, say, year? What do you want to achieve touring-wise? I really, really, really want to get out and open up for some like-minded, similar-sounding bands that are in that large club to small music hall level of band. Um, I know exactly who I want that to be, and I'm working really hard at that constantly, trying to get that going. But we're not on a label right now, so you you lose a little bit of that potential, um, you know, uh, uh, quid pro quo help that some of those label bands get. Uh, so we're out, you know, we're doing it, you know, basically old school with a with an agent and a manager working their asses off, you know, making making friends, making the right connections, and then us doing our our due diligence, making friends out on the road and trying to make those connections. So that's that's the big goal is is get out on the road and do a couple short tours with the bands that we really, really respect and want to align with them and their fan base. Yeah, yeah. And is there any, I know it might be a good bit off, but is there any chance of European audiences getting to see one of your shows? That is something that I really, really, really want to make happen. I think that probably step one is we align with those bands in America. And once you've made that connection, because we we have value in America, we can, I'm not asking for a favor, I guess, by by going out and opening for a band, we'll bring value. People will come, they'll drink, they'll buy your merch as well. And once, once I can get my foot in that door stateside, then I'm going to start asking and talking to people about going overseas. Well, I look forward to when it does happen anyway. And, you know, I love asking this because it shows what, what you think of your career really, or where you want your career to go. But in 30 years time, or 40 years time, you know, when you're near the end of your career and you look back, what needs to have happened for you to feel fulfilled and like you achieved everything you wanted to achieve? If I can make it 30 to 40 years from now and still be able to afford to only play music and never had a boss, those two things, if I can check those two boxes, I'll have considered it all a win. I really like that answer now because it's not like, oh, I want to be famous or I want a big mansion and Ferraris. It's just, you know, as long as you can still get to play music. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that, maybe that means I have to I have to get rich and famous in the next five or 10 years for that to be able to hold. But that's not the point. If I if when I'm if when I'm 60 or 70 years old, if I can just still play music at my leisure and never had to call somebody sir sounds like a win (laughs) (laughs) and uh what are your future plans you know what's locked in for the rest of the year and maybe early 2023 um we're already starting to book uh spring and it's it's just constantly the the blend of headlining in the markets that we want to headline and trying to get out and open for these bands that we want to align with you know we're doing a lot of lot of behind the scenes heavy lifting when it comes to trying to get on these shows and it's one of those things that you take 30 no's and one yes 30 no's and one yes so i know that we're going to be ending up opening for some of the bands we want to but i can't say when yet because it's it's a matter of the right ball falling into the right little cup but this weekend will be in uh, Hallam, Pennsylvania and Akron, Ohio. Uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving, I believe it's the first, second, third of December, we'll be out in the Carolinas. Um, and then after that, I don't know about any, I don't know which shows I can announce actually at this point. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say, because I forget which ones are announced and which ones I still have to keep a secret. <laughs> right, right. I suppose uh, listeners may keep an eye on your social medias. Please do. We're always updating all that. We're always working on getting new shows in areas that we know people want to see us. So if you don't see anything from us right now as it stands today, make sure you're following us and make sure that you know, you're know you doing what you can to keep an eye on us because we post everything as soon as we know about it. Brilliant. Brilliant. We'll, uh, we'll jump into the last couple of questions then before I let you go. 
if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Um, I would like to see the Rolling Stones circa 1972. That's that's my favorite era of any band of ever is 1969 to 1972 Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely understand that. All right, that'd be a pretty cool gig. Yeah. Yeah. And the next one, so if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any performer from history, who would it be? James Brown. Really? I just feel like he'd have something for you. He'd like he'd tell you something that nobody else knows. Yeah, yeah. If you could understand them, of course. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, <laughs> he might, might talk a little fast, might be scatting a little bit, and I might not understand it. Yeah, yeah. And the final one, what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Cowboys song by Thin Lizzy. Ah, I like the quick response there. And of course, an Irish podcast. I like that you said Thin Lizzy. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. Yeah, it's like my uh, national duty to uh, to like Thin Lizzy. <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I love, love Thin Lizzy, man. Um, Bill Linnett, rest in peace. Yeah. One of the greats of all time. Honestly, I could probably put him on my, if I was locked in a room with somebody, he could probably fit that bill as well. Yeah, that would be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I am. Um, I always think to myself, I would love to have seen if they had managed to stay together and, you know, tour America properly and yeah. really make it into America, you know? Yeah, they, uh, was it Brian Robertson on their, their first big breakout US tour? He got into a bar brawl and broke his hand, I believe. So that was like it, it ruined what was supposed to be their big moment in the US. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they kept getting all these chances and then something would take away from it, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Right. Well, Jimmy, listen, I've really enjoyed chatting to you now and getting an insight into the band. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. The human race is quite a violent bunch. Everything we touch. I'm losing patience. See, you cut it out. The situation turned us upside down. Intimidation. And you can get so loud That information Change the station I'm supposed to care Supposed to wonder what the hell is in your
Hello everyone, I am Matthew Thomas, the Spirit of Super Cool Radio, and if you're looking for a great podcast that features the best independent and up-and-coming bands and artists, then check out my podcast, Super Cool Radio. Each week, I deliver fun interviews, and every Friday, I spin some killer music. You might not know some of these bands that I feature, but I guarantee you will love them. Check out Super Cool Radio on YouTube, Rumble, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or the streaming platform of your choice. Tune in and rock out! Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey. Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.